0: So Run down in your reverie Stop slow in the sunlight Creeps closer when the dark falls Shaking out in the night Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? Careful, you're showing Hey, don't take
1: me for granted I'm in
2: Still I am stranded. I'm not a monster under your bed. I'm just a fool falling
0: down with my rights way. I'm not
2: a monster under your bed. Don't, Don't take me now. All right, guys. Um, welcome to the show. Um, thanks for tuning in for the second episode of Block Channel. Um, the song you just heard in the intro is There Are Monsters by my good friend Faraday. Um, If you want to check out his music, go ahead and check that out in the show notes below. Um, As usual, this is Mackie, joining you with my co-host and fellow Bitcoin minority extraordinaire, uh, (laughs) Dimitrik.
1: Hello, everybody. It's Dimitrik, or D, host number two of the Bitcoin podcast here. Also host number two of the Block Channel uh, coming at you. Number two, episode number two. Excited. (laughs) Thanks, Dimitri. And
2: uh, so last week, you know, we had an excellent interview and discussion with Ethereum co-founder and, a sense, and Consensus co-founder, uh, Joseph Lubin, and he was kind enough to come on the show, talk about his projects, fill us with some Ethereum knowledge and like kind of where the industry was going and what was hot. Um, and that was excellent. We're great. Glad to have you on the show, Joe. Um, but the show is about Bitcoin, it's about Ethereum, Zcash, basically whatever flavor of blockchain technology seems to be doing something innov- innovative or right and worth talking about. You know, we want diversity in our guests. So, you know, we're happy to introduce our second guest on the block channel, um, a man amongst the tech-, tech community that doesn't really need an introduction, uh, Brendan Eich. Um, you might know him as the creator of JavaScript. Um, you might have heard of that. Uh, he's the previous boss man uh, at Mozilla, and now he's building a new pack with his crew, um, focusing on web browser technology and Bitcoin micro micropayments at Brave. Uh, Brendan, do you, would you like to just go ahead and give yourself a quick
0: intro? Sure, thanks, and thanks for having me on. So I, um, I created JavaScript over 21 years ago in May 1995 at Netscape, and I took it um, – pretty single-handedly to product and then to standards, uh, state at ECMA, which is still going. We're meeting at the end of this month at Facebook. (laughs) Um, it's like a 21 year old though. I'm ready to cut it loose. It's on its own. It's not getting any. It needs to
2: go (laughs) have some drinks.
0: (laughs) No, no free room and board over the garage. Um, so after doing that in 1997 at the end, toward the end of the year, um, when Netscape was starting to get crushed by Microsoft, i Helped, joined others like Jamie Zawinski and um, a bunch of other people in founding Mozilla.org, which was, you know, the attempt to take Netscape's commercial browser code and f- turn it into open source with a real community and make it a complement to Linux and and Apache and other things uh, from around then. And I worked on Mozilla to restart the browser market, and that took doing Firefox, which was you know a better browser, and that launched it. In- Wow, 12 years ago today, uh, November 9th, 2004. And we built Firefox up to, I think it's height, like 27% of the browser market, kind of taught Google how to do Chrome and they did Chrome. And <laughs> um, we had a bunch of interesting projects at Mozilla. <laughs> Some of the ones I'm most proud of are um, Rust and the servo project using Rust to build parallel, you know, hardware-based uh, like GPU and, and multi-core web engine. And um, ASM JS, which begot WebAssembly uh, by demonstration by showing you could make a really fast subset of JavaScript that um, could compete with safe plug-in technology like Google's Portable Native Client, and that got all the browser vendors eventually on board with WebAssembly, which is now going forward in in um, you know into the nightly builds over the next uh, uh, four or five months, I would say. Um, which is really awesome because it'll make a bunch of, you know, games and, and plugins for things like AI and, and physics and so on, uh, load fast and be uh, really slick. And it'll be a compliment to JavaScript. So after Mozilla, um, I founded a company called Brave uh, last year and got a really killer uh, first floor team. And we built uh, a new browser that's really more more than a browser. It's about users having a platform kind of like their own cloud, but all on their own devices because it's really hard to defend the data (laughs) once it gets out. If some, Mm -hmm. if some third party is tracking you, they're, they're getting all the economic benefit. They're, they're putting your profile together with other players and you're getting, you know, maybe you're getting better ads, maybe you're getting worse ads, maybe you're getting malware nobody really knows. And all three of those things have happened, which is why people are adopting ad blockers. But but the web depends in large part on advertising for all those websites to pay their bills so we're trying to try to make a better funding mechanism for the web and the first thing we're doing is allowing people to sort of automatically donate um, to their favorite sites without having to think about it just mm-hmm. based on their browsing and to do that we're using bitcoin because bitcoin the, the most you know basic and magic thing about it is besides the fact that it's, it's a robust system um is that um you don't need permission to pay anybody you can just get their address and send send them bitcoin
2: nice so so uh, so excellent thanks for uh, the very uh lengthy description uh, i i love it uh it's, it's great because you know i i've 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 been a fan of everything that you've been doing, and you know I've been following Brave very closely for quite a quite a long time. And you know, when, at first when you guys introduced um, that you were going to be supporting Bitcoin, you know that 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 really excited me. And at, at the at first I was a little bit skeptical, and I was curious. I was like, you know, are they really going to execute on that? Is you know is that something they're kind of just building up to? But no, you guys did it, um, and, then, and and I, and I think that's awesome. And you know the the browser you guys have built is is not just you know, it's not just focused on Bitcoin. It's a, it's a really damn good browser. Um, Thanks. Uh, yeah, um, I, and I know, and I know Ferg has used it himself, and I have. I use it the on old. mobile, on iOS mostly. Um, it's just way better on my phone as far as like uh, battery usage and, and just uh, just speed, especially like you know browsing through the web and like having to quickly like browse through all ads or having to. It just, I, I love saving you know articles and stuff online, and Brave makes that like really easy. Um, cool. So you know with that and like with Brave, like what is your kind of what's your vision um, for Brave uh, like going forward? Like, like, you know, you're you're at the point now where you've, you know, you've incorporated Bitcoin micropayments and, you know, you're building on the browser now, obviously, you know, additional extensions and, you know, building upon the extendability. So, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's next over like the next year?
0: Uh, great question. First of all, growth. I think, once we get a certain amount of the basic, you know, Chrome extension supported, since we're based on Chromium uh, with our own sort of electron front end, uh, that's pretty custom, we, we can run a lot of those extensions and we're getting more of them all the time. Uh, Jonathan Sampson, uh, who does our DevRel, I hired away from Microsoft, um, is, is supporting them and it's just speeding up now. He's got Pocket, he's got Honey, he's going on to the, the React DevTools. It's just going to start to snowball from here, I think, because once you get enough of those APIs, stood up to do those Chrome extensions, we can take the cream off the top of the Chrome web store. And that's what we're planning to do. We, we, we try to build them into advanced settings in the app, and we try to make them work uh, out of the box. So you turn them on, and, and they're there, and they're up to date. We QA them. The the browsers, you know, starting with Firefox, where I was in, in, deeply involved in, in this whole architecture, started doing uh, extensions. Firefox kind of pioneered it. Uh, in the mainstream browsers, and then the other browsers eventually all copied it, including Safari, I thought Apple would never do it. Um, but <laughs> but extensions, have, if there are a large uh, you know, set of them in this pretty open store, like Mozilla ran for a long time and, and Chrome copied, you mm. get it, some number of them are like sketchy or they have performance bugs or they make the browser malfunction. We, we want to avoid that while getting the good, So we're definitely leveraging the Chrome store. So growth for us depends on really being much faster than the other browsers, and we know Google will never block ads by default. they're it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it my business. But, but we also yes. we want to do something for privacy that's meaningful to users. It's not people think privacy is not a marketable you know quality, something you can't really advertise or tell people use my product because it, it's more private. It's not really true. It's it's contextual. Like people like secure messaging apps. People like you know dissolving selfies from Snapchat on. So there's something about privacy that's that's very important to people in the right place and time. And of course, after there's a crisis, after the Snowden story broke or other breaches come out, people start thinking about it more. And I think this is just going to pick up, especially with malware coming in through third party ads to top publishers like the New York Times. So growth is first and, and also getting as many people who are willing to donate like $5 a month, like it, I call it an airport latte a month, to funding <laughs> their Brave Wallet. We're making that even easier We're working on a, an integration um, with Stripe, who are awesome, to to make it super easy to buy Bitcoin. It's really tricky, as you may know, to buy Bitcoin through a sort of a, a generalized buy widget mm-hmm. because th- once you get it, you can send it off and Stolen credit card identities, or like a buck a piece, I hear. So, this <laughs> so is a big fraud problem.
2: So you're going to use you're going to use Stripe so that you can um, like purchase Bitcoin quickly, like via like your credit cards, like in the browser.
0: Yes, and it's okay. only a small amount. And it, initially, until you get to know us better, we get to know you better. Mm-hmm. It can really only flow toward your your publishers, and we have an, a big enough buffer there. We can claw back if there's a chargeback. So that way we can avoid you know the, the problems of um, fraud that I think caused other Bitcoin buy widgets to be shut down. I know of a few that tried it and they got 80% chargeback rates, (laughs) um, which is Mm. not survivable. I mean, before that happens, Stripe would would tell us you're done and uh, they would do that because otherwise their, their bank partner would tell them they're done. Um, So it's pretty important to control that at first, but we want Mm. in the long run, this is part of the vision. We want you to control your wallet. Mm. And we, in fact, we, we, we use um, BitGo as a partner for multi-signature wallets. So, we actually give custody of your wallet to, you know, one key goes to Bitco, one key goes to the user, one key goes to the user and is is is, is thrown away on purpose. So it really is uh, the user's wallet, um, and that means that if there's if there's no fraud risk, if we can reduce it to you know, really low casual fraud, once in a blue moon risk. Excellent. It's it's yeah, your money. It's yeah,
2: your Yeah, yeah, like Coin, Coinbase did something similar, and I think Coinbase might actually be the partner on the Bitcoin side for Stripe. But like Bitcoin's, but you know, Coinbase is by widget, excuse me, like you know, they have it limited to like five and like twenty dollars or something like that. To like I guess, I guess, to, for the exact reasons you're talking about, to reduce instances of fraud.
0: Yeah, in fact, we're using Coinbase right now, and uh, only in the U.S. because they are not launched it overseas. But we're using them right now to fund, and it's working. It's it, it's great to have them as a partner because they they did it as sort of a general widget. it's still got this, you know, the the user flow is a little deeper, and they try to use. Get more information from the user, and that that always tends to sometimes bounce some users, right? You you lose some users in the user acquisition funnel, and they fall off the top of the funnel. And so <laughs> we're always looking to make it simpler, and that's why we're working with Stripe as well. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's where we are for the next year. I think we we may have some surprises I don't want to get into yet. Because <laughs> if you, if you remember our early announcement we talked about sharing revenue with users and this would Ooh. this purely be on the users opt-in it would be their choice we wouldn't foist this on them mm-hmm. but if there if there's a way to do it that wallet should not just be taking your money out to distribute to sprinkle across your top sites. If you're willing to you know opt into some better kind of ad or promotion or something that taps into the money that's kind of wasted on ads today. We can do a much better job we think much more private and mm-hmm. sh- share the revenue back with the user. And that that would start to price user attention, which you know there's no deep transparent market for trading your attention. It's it's totally uh, you know zero or negative value because you end up getting annoyances and sometimes dangerous ads. And all you're doing is is giving up your eyeballs for content that may or may not be worth it. So you you're kind of stuck if if the content really wasn't worth it, but the ads took up a lot of your radio and your data plan, or they left malware on your PC, <laughs> you yeah. lost. Um, So we're trying to bootstrap something that's been talked about by a lot of people forever, like Doc Searles and others talk about the attention economy. And Tim Wu has a new book out called The Attention Merchants. Um, Nobody's built this kind of market before. We're going to take a shot at it. That's why the wallet's there. It should should put money in the direction of your pocket, not just away from you.
1: Excellent. Mm. You should – I mean, what's keeping you from giving us some little exclusive taste of what's going on? I'm well,
0: so, because I want to have a you know less um, aspirational plan. when we when we launched in January, we did say, here's what we were supposed to do. And we said, you know some things about it, but we weren't totally detailed because we hadn't built it yet. And as you may recall, in April, we got this nasty letter from seventeen top publishers that belonged to a trade group. It used to be called the Newspaper Association of America. Now it's called the News Media Association. And some of them we're actually trying to work with now, and they're actually, I think, treating us more as uh, friend than enemy, or let's hope something in between, at best. But um, we think the publishers need help too. They're kind of our second constituency after users. We want users to be sovereign over their own data and get a fair deal, whether it's you know free content they can micropay if they want, but it, they don't have to, or if they're willing to try some of these uh, private anonymous ads that we're talking about. If we get that stood up, we'll share revenue back. Meanwhile, we want publishers not to go out of business, and that's been a risk for newspapers for decades. So um, <laughs> in spite of you know, our, our having the publisher's interests in in mind as our second constituency, they got really mad when they heard our plans, and they said, how dare you, and they wrote this letter. And it was just great publicity. It got more downloads to us. Consumer sentiment was all on side, and we hadn't done anything that they were you know objecting to and sort of pointing and, and sputtering about because uh, – We were just laying out a roadmap and a vision. And They started saying, "How dare you replace our ads? Those are copyrighted to us." And I was like, "Wait, the third-party ads that are sometimes malware or like um, parasite pictures are copyrighted to you, (laughs) you know, the top publishers in the United States? I don't think so. These are the the ads that we all hate, and they don't come from the publisher at all. They're not like ink on paper ads on your newspaper that comes to your you know grandfather's door. These are ads that are placed by JavaScript." my my errant child by script on page that runs in your browser so there's no <laughs> no connection to the publisher there's no there's no copyright by the publisher
2: so so how, ultimately like how do you how do you see like uh this industry growing and expanding so as far as like you know sharing with publishers uh, like more bitcoin centric ones like coindesk like have you like have they earned any bitcoin yet like has there any has there like How how's how's that gone thus
0: far? That's a great question. We've actually had the Brave payment system in beta long enough with enough users that we have like over 18,000 wallets and an average balance of over $5 in the funded wallets. So -hmm. people are doing it, like I said, $5 a month or more, and they're spending it um, on a lot of sites. So we we went through the 30-day clock that is a personal clock that runs on your device in your Brave browser, Mm -hmm. entirely private analytics to decide how to spread that money out. And then through zero knowledge proof protocol, um, derived from something called Anonize, mm-hmm. we we send the sort of anonymous votes over to our, our server. And then there's no link back to users' identity. There, you know, if you said here are my top 20 sites, even though you don't give your name, that's mm-hmm. a pretty strong fingerprint that could identify you. So we break that link completely with zero knowledge proofs. And nice. then we then we then we put all the money together from those, you know, five dollars per month from those users. We put it into one big settlement wallet, big Bitcoin enterprise wallet, and mm-hmm. we start looking at all the sites that they went to, and you know, adding up the tallies because, as you might guess, our users often cluster around certain sites. So, <laughs> Coin, Coin CoinDesk is one of them. Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal turns out to be another. Um, New York Times, Guardian, some of the top news sites, but also Reddit's in there and other you know mm-hmm. tech sites, and we started uh, pooling the money to pay these publishers in in um, sort of our accounting system. And given some of them the chance to come and say, hey, I, I own this domain, I want to claim my money. And so some number of them have done that. We haven't announced yet, but we've already gone through, I think, four or five onboarding of publishers to bring the system up. So, yeah, right. it's exciting. We're starting to pay publishers. Now, as you might expect with a beta program with you know several, you know, I said 18,000 wallets, not all of them are funded, it's not a huge amount of money. But it's starting to grow, and as we grow, it'll get bigger. And over time, it starts to add up until it's worth it for publishers to come and get their get their money. That's awesome. Right. So,
1: oh, you get to take you can go ahead.
2: No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to switch the script just a little bit and ask you. You know, being a JavaScript man, I'm I'm sure you've had a chance to take a look at the the Bitcoin Bitcoin full node implementation uh, written for nodes. Yeah.
0: A little bit, yeah. I, in fact, uh, I think Stephen recommended it to me, and it's exciting to see what JavaScript can do. It's just crazy with all the stuff like WebAssembly and the things that led up to it, like ASMJS and like SIMD and WebGL. You can you can get down to the metal and do amazing stuff. And that Bitcoin's very impressive work. We uh, you know we're not going to use uh, CPU mining or, or turn you know your browser into a full node, <laughs> <laughs> but but it, 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 who knows where this ends up? I think there's something there. Whether it's you know son of Ethereum and Bitcoin or, or daughter of, of you know ETC and Bitcoin, okay. so, something down the road will turn into um, I think a much um, more decentralized system where there, there's lots of capacity mm-hmm. and and lots of um, decentralization.
2: Yeah, so you would so you would ultimately see you know if this move forward in adoption like it being more so like agnostic to whatever sort of value was exchanged across it, just as long as it was exchanged.
0: I'd like to i mean we're we're tracking things like interledger. Mm-hmm. we're we're conscious of um payment systems that try to do um you know wallet agnostic um transactions while not being money transmitters like um i know um uh Bill Barhide of abra go mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it's a great talk to him he's very experienced and um I hope this all converges. I don't see why it should you know, be siloed. And if it's Bitcoin or anything that can exchange, that has you know a robust enough um, mining ecosystem and, and um, uh, enough users, you'll you'll get exchange. You'll get um, even probably some ability to do stable coins or something to hedge against volatility. I think it'll come.
2: That's awesome. So, let's see here we covered everything else here yeah, we kind of wanted to talk about so like let's we let's let, we can probably move now from like bitcoin and sort of like brave and you know since you know you've had so much experience in the space and you know you're in my opinion cuz i'm super nerdy an icon to someone like me who you know who had to actually go through a javascript class in in college um, <laughs> you know <laughs> cool. I, uh, so you know i wanted to uh, you know have to like ask you like what sort of what sort of advice can you give to uh, like developers or uh, maybe people uh, interested in wanting to either help like develop like with brave or either like develop on top of it like going forward in the future or just like you know is there anything like you kind of want to like share with the world like maybe something inspirational
0: yeah wisdom yeah like wisdom I'll do my best. Um, so we're we're based on you know Electron, which is a lot of Node.js and React um, sort of front end and middleware uh, technology. Uses immutable JS. Um, it's pretty cool. We've we've had to do things like turn it back on the sandbox the Chromium sandbox. we we're, we're doing things that only a few other Electron embedders really need because a lot of them are happy just being. Like the original use case, which was GitHub's Atom editor, mm-hmm. or you know, Slack uses it, um, Microsoft VS Code uses it, um, and those are not quite as as concerned about security as we are. I mean, maybe they should be, because I think some of them probably load some remote content sometimes, or get their users sometimes copying some remote content blindly in, and that could that could own you. But <laughs> For a full browser, you, you can't fool around, right? This is something I learned long ago at Mozilla, and then you know, Chrome did a really good job with uh, sandboxing and all the other browsers, of, I think even Firefox now getting around to it. Um, you have to do it. And so with Brave, we turned back on the sandbox, and, which meant we had to sort of kick Node.js out of the web view process, we have a multi-process architecture, so that the lowest level of the process, the thing that's maybe one tab, or if you have too many tabs like I do, it's shared a little bit among tabs. That can't have Node in it because if it does, it can't be sandboxed because Node wants to read your file system. But other than that, if you're a front-end hacker, you can come and help Brave right now. If you know Node, you can help us. Our whole payment architecture is written in Node. We even use mscripten, another one of those things I mentioned or I alluded to at Mozilla Research that uh, Alon Sakai did. It was It's the back-end for LLVM compiler that takes C or C++ and generates ASM.js. And it, it generates such tight JavaScript that it was running like native code at near native speed in a browser. We did that for the Unity and the Epic game engines. And a lot of a lot of Unity games now are on Facebook like Ski Safari. Those are asmjs compiled by Inscripted. We used Imscript in a Brave so we could just take some crypto code and and turn it into JavaScript and not have to worry so much about another C module mm-hmm. with more, more attack service, you know, more memory safety bugs that might might be there to attack. And so we're we're using all this stuff that I have helped build up over the last 20 years, and it's it's really accessible. People can come in and start uh, doing Node things. They can do React things, and that's that. I think that's that's the, the way to roll for a lot of apps, not just Brave, but obviously things like um, the other Electron apps. Um, another here's another one that's based on Electron: WebTorrent. Um, and so we're we're working with the WebTorrent guys to get actual magnet URL supported in Brave natively. So you can do torrenting inside Brave. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, there's just a lot of stuff we're doing that is, is to me low hanging fruit that other browsers aren't running for because they aren't really about browsing. They're all owned by companies that are about, you know, search or, or advertising or, or operating systems or shiny phones. And so <laughs> they want to make browsers better, but they don't necessarily go at it full, you know, full strength. So that's, that that's what i like about brave we can do it full strength we can do it with the the, the broad platform that has the most developers which is the modern mm-hmm. sort of full stack or front end javascript world
1: well thank you for the wisdom and if you guys were listening to that you better hop on an opportunity to help brave because i mean why wouldn't you it'd be dumb not to so
2: you would you don't even have to be brave you would say to help brave <laughs> <laughs> you just have to. You just, you just have to be willing to want to uh, commit to something awesome. Which I, I mean,
0: after, I have to say, I named it after our users because they have to be <laughs> a little bit brave to take a browser that's going to sometimes fight, you know, fight back against ad blocker blockers or those annoying paywalls or those things that, that try to say, "We see you're using an ad blocker. Can you please turn it off for us?" Which mm-hmm. you might do, but that that happened in January this year at Forbes, and immediately the malware and the third-party ad system came right through and hit those fresh, you know, hit the fresh meat—the the users who lower their shields. So, and as you recall, in, in Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, uh, Kirk foolishly failed to raise his shields in their first encounter. I, <laughs> I mean, do it, recall. It, it's a dangerous I, world.
2: I <laughs> do recall. Yes, I do.
1: <laughs> so, so Brenda, you've been in. A- some in this interview alone you've been somewhat of a teacher, educator, promoter, uh way a sage giving wisdom, advice, and, and now I I'm gonna ask you to put on your fortune teller hat and if you had to peer into uh your glass ball, what do you see as the future for Bitcoin moving forward? Let's let's put a timestamp on it too. Let's go five years and then ten years.
0: Wow. Yeah. That, that's almost beyond my horizon, right? Um, five years is, and 10 years definitely is. I think, um, like I said, I think there'll be some continued evolution. I don't know if it'll be, you know, the whole um, SegWit soft work and all the things that can happen on the the new side of that, like lightning. I think something something good will converge there. Maybe even Brave can use it for micropayments. We we built our own, you know, centralized, but Blockchain tied system because we wanted auditability and transparency. We didn't like having the centralized, but we didn't have a choice because the the stuff there like Zcash and Lightning wasn't ready. And it's awesome. Zcash is launched now. Mm-hmm. But if you just think about this in time, we're in the early days. So I think five years definitely Bitcoin's bigger. The other thing about it is Bitcoin, if you look at it compared to other currencies, is small. So a lot of room to go, a lot of room for growth. It I know a lot of companies that are looking at it and looking at the blockchain separately for, you know decentralized you know, um, attestation or proof system. So I think there's just going to be a lot of growth. And that growth will lead to interoperation, like we, I mentioned interledger earlier. It'll lead to um, experiments, whether they're through soft forks or <laughs> systems like Ethereum, which is forked several times now. Uh, <laughs> but that, you know, that's also part of the early, the, the teething pains. I think that's just inevitable. Um, and it should it should lead to learning that gets, you know, engineered back into uh, successor systems. And so long as as people can not get trapped in some, you know, state where they can't exchange out or, or, you know, gateway the systems together, I think it'll work. I'm also, I like to clunk for other companies building on the blockchain, like Blockstack. I know those guys and we're talking to them. And Mm -hmm. they're ambitious, but their target is pretty juicy because the sort of the combination of the domain name system, which I'm sure will be around in 10 years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably 20 uh, but it has its issues, um, and then especially the public key infrastructure, the certificate authorities—they're just always getting, you know, in trouble with uh, malissuance or misissuance where some somebody gets a Google.com certificate issued from, you know, inside Iran or something, and and then they go start pretending they're Google, doing man in the middle. Um, that's just, <laughs> uh, that's a bad time, and so all these. these complex systems built on top of it to basically do massive logging and and study the logs like certificate transparency. They're good. and I I support them and they've helped already uh, finding uh, like sketchy behavior from CAs, but they, they tend to um, just be too much compared to just using the blockchain. If you could do a new top level, Like the Blockstack IO guys uh, propose, Blockstack.org, I think they are now. Uh Blockstack.org, excuse me. Um, Just do a new top level and start making a new space. Bring it up alongside the old certificate authorities. Bring it up alongside the old DNS. And then, if it really wins, let it let it grow and let the old fade. Uh I think you'll see more of that in five year timeframe. I I hope to see them succeed. Uh, And that means in ten years, you'll see like the world moving moving toward more blockchain based and less centralized or hierarchical and sort of fragile systems like significant authorities.
2: Could you ever see Brave moving towards something like, you know, like some sort of like self-sovereign like identity system for the users that use its browser. So they can just sort of like carry their Bitcoin across like wherever.
0: That's yeah. I've been, fo- I've been following the, the work there from uh, Christopher Allen and others. And I, I like, I like it. I think, uh, you know, this is a hard topic. Like I mentioned Doc Searles earlier, he's running the mm-hmm. internet identity workshop with others for years now and identity is so um, challenging, partly because you already have these big powers like Facebook uh, and now Google, and they've Google finally stitched their identity system together when they were trying to do Google Plus, and a lot of um, a lot of value hangs off those identities. And again, it's kind of centralized and not really user is kind of a product <laughs> as they say if, you, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're using a free service you're the product right if you're playing poker and you look around the table and you can't spot the chump you're the chump so uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good that's, that's cool. good i think i think there is something to sovereign identity because until you really do own your identity and your data that's where brave starting one with the data and anonymous identity that's what brave's doing but if you could have multiple named identities nims pseudonyms different personae and you could be secure and how you transact through them, and you didn't have to, you know, become a sysadmin on a server or a cloud uh, to to own them and maintain them. That would be awesome. Um, so I, I think there's a future there for sovereign identity, and that's great Ties into that. Well, I think we're part of this movement away from the centralized. You know, people say cloud. We used to say servers. This idea you have to have a um, concentration of machines to, you know, amortize the power and air conditioning and replacement of the broken parts. That'll still be around. The clouds, you know, never going to go away because those economies of scale will always matter, even as machines become cheaper and cheaper. Mm-hmm. But what I think drives things in the other direction is is privacy and um, desire to not give all your data out and lose all of the mm-hmm. the benefits, both economic and sort of you know, I would say almost spiritual of keeping control of it. Like you want your house. Or your children or your pets or your own body if you have implants in 10 years do you want all that information being hoovered out by some you know super company like google wouldn't you rather have a home server what if you get a samsung you know refrigerator and a tesla car and a you know google uh, entertainment system and chromebooks will they talk where's your data how do you make it all work i think you have to have subsidiary layers of control and ownership that map onto human nature, like the house, the individual, the family, the, the small town, the big city. And if you if you do that right, especially with encryption and things like zero-knowledge proof-based uh, privacy and anonymity we're using, not just the sort of weaker differential privacy that Apple's pretending they discovered, <laughs> which is more about hiding in a crowd of people, uh, I think that could go a long way, and I don't see an alternative that's that's not a dystopia. I think if if it's everything's in the central services computers, and then the government's going to be fighting to get backdoors or fighting to own it, it's going to be compromised constantly, um, and it's going to be uh, something where the user doesn't get a fair deal. So I, I believe I believe there is a, a move away, sort of toward the ultimate edge, which mm-hmm. is starting from your own devices, synchronizing your data when it's already been encrypted on the device. Managing endpoint security, like Snowden said, that's the weakest link. So he was talking about the PC more than you know other devices, but Android hasn't been great. And frankly, they're all there's always vulnerable software because there's too much of it. Mm-hmm. The browser has vulnerabilities too. I said this recently when I was busting on Flash. I didn't want to pick on Flash alone. And I did pick on them because they were <laughs> No
2: go ahead. We don't like Flash. You can do whatever you
0: want. <laughs> yeah I told the story recently so I won't rehash it but I'll say that you have to look at code as a living thing, and you have to maintain it and fuzz test it and statically analyze it all the time, or you're just going to get pwned. And even then, you have to pay you know, bug bounties and keep up with the, the black hats and the green hats, as Moxie calls them, who are attacking you for, for pay. And, and so that's a heavy burden, and you want to minimize the amount of code you have to trust. You a browser is too big. But if you can write some of it in JavaScript or Rust, then you only have to really trust your JavaScript VM and compiler, or your Rust compiler and, and the tiny runtime that Rust uses. That's a smaller body of code to secure. So I think that if we work on security earnestly and diligently, with with you know without dropping the ball like Microsoft did with Internet Explorer after they monopolized the browser market, and if if we also carry on the, you know, the project to decentralize and have sovereign identity, I think it'll work. I think computers allow us to overcome the path dependence that in other systems, you know, it's part of physics and biology, tend to create first and second place winners, monopolies and duopolies that kind of dominate. And, and, the worst thing about those if they're human structures is they they become 100 year you know government backed monopolies and they, they capture their regulators and they buy off their congress critters and they, they tend to perpetuate themselves way too long we we should hope even though the internet was designed to survive nuclear war and it, it, the good part of that was it was designed to be you know have peering and some peer to peer aspects and not be just a client server centralized the star network so we should be able to build on that we should be able to build not only on internet services we love uh, from the last 20 years but things that go to higher levels of discourse like money and payments and identity
2: so so I guess I guess with that all and you know coming down from you know our discussion about tech, and you know our discussion about self-sovereign identity and sort of where the future is going. Let's let's take a step back here, because the show is about you know education, it's about Bitcoin, but it's also about music. And you mentioned Apple at one point, and you know it kind of it made me think. It's like you know, what kind of music do you like, Brendan?
0: Uh, that's a great question. So I, um, <laughs> I like, I'm I pretty eclectic. I like a lot of music when I was –
2: Ooh, eclectic. I like
0: that. When I was young, I studied piano for a long time, um, making my kids do it. Some of them actually, <laughs> when they practice, get are getting better. Uh, <laughs> so maybe there's something about the apple not falling far from the tree. I studied like classical piano for, um, I don't know, uh, 20 years. But I, I had a break for graduate school, and I, when I got back into it in my 20s, I actually started practicing more and got better. Um, and then I got too busy, sadly, with Netscape, and I think that was probably a mistake. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm old now. I can I can work on the next generation, which I'm doing. But I also like um, uh, you know lots of different music. Um, I'm sort of '80s uh, kid. I, I like Third Wave ska, I like the Bostones, I like um, I like the early um, British Invasion. Um, Joe Jackson and um, the jam. Um, I, when I was a kid, I liked Elton John and I was like this piano playing pool in the, in the school band. And I was playing a lot of Elton John too. I would play Benny the Jets. So,
2: <laughs> so you probably, so you probably don't listen to little Wayne.
0: I'm, I,
2: I know little Wayne. I am aware of little Wayne. I, I not- <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Just, tight, tight, tight. I'm,
0: pretty, <laughs> I'm
2: glad to hear that too, actually.
0: Yeah. Uh, I- I'm more old school. Yeah, yeah, I know who Biggie is too. Uh, oh, 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 hell <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um I, but I have to say uh I'm, cause I'm so old. I, I and I'm so busy. I haven't made as much time for music lately as I'd like. So this you're is not good. a music
2: you're not a music and program kind of guy.
0: You know, I I'm I'm just apart, across from our office where people would have their headphones on and are doing it. I sometimes do, but sometimes I just need to um go quiet. Also, I'm in Brave's offices is a part of WeWork, and they play a lot of music, so there's like I don't know, churches and other stuff playing (laughs) in heavy rotation. (laughs) Sometimes I want to just turn on the noise-canceling headphones and play nothing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Brendan, thank you very much uh, for not only dropping knowledge bombs on us, um, but giving us the wisdom and Maybe some insight as to what a possible future could be like if blockchains proliferate, which it does seem like that is happening. So, um, you know, thank you very much for stopping by. Is there any last-minute plugs you want to throw out there for anything you're working on or anybody? You yeah, feel want free. To shout you go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of controversial, but we we use standard JS, which is <laughs> kind of cheekily named, uh, sort of set of uh, configuration for ESLint. So it makes your JavaScript follow certain rules, but that way everybody on the team agrees and nobody worries about you know fighting over style and you can run it with a minus fix argument to fix your code if it happens to deviate. And you know I'm still lobbying for Ross who, who wrote it and who's working with us on on WebTorrent integration you know, um, to, to make a few adjustments. So it isn't quite so um, let's say Doug Crockford strict. But um, it's cool. I I, I think it, it's helpful. I remember when I became aware of Python, which was after I did JavaScript. I I went through you know a little Perl envy phase, and then I went through some Python envy. And I like all these languages. Um, I like languages in general. Python has this you know indentation based uh, block structure or control structure, which kind of takes away a lot a lot of the arguments about where the braces go and C or C like languages, JavaScript. And I, I have a friend who said future languages should just not allow style wars. You should have only one style, and it should be part of the grammar. It should be checked by the, you know, the language, by the compiler. So it's an error not to use the one true style. Sort of like Go with Go format, but that's optional too. And I, I think that might happen. I think over the next, let me make another prediction, five to 10 years, we'll see people moving toward you know, standardizing style as part of the syntax. So standard JS, check it out. All right. all right
2: standard js like you heard the man and we're, and we're and we'll include uh we'll include links to the things that you mentioned as well and to brave and um and, and to the partners you mentioned um to in the show notes too so everybody get some love thanks all right mm-hmm. well enjoy
1: this outro by faraday
0: all right well thanks a lot yeah.